You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code Vox MMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it is Friday. September 8th, 2023, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter space. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. What's going on, everybody? I am Mike Heck. A lot going on this weekend in the world of combat sports. We are on the eve of UFC 293, on the eve of Israel Adesanya versus Sean Strickland, for the middleweight title on the eve of the UFC 293 watch party going down tomorrow night. You can join myself, GC, some special guests along the way, 9.45 p.m. Eastern. And judging by the fan reaction to this card as a whole, I think it's a pretty damn good idea. You can save yourself 80 bucks. We will be as upbeat and as interesting as possible when it comes to this card. That I can assure you. We'll do some bets. We'll do some chat bets. Play some games. GC will probably kick my ass in UFC 4. And we'll just have a good time. So you can join us at 9.45 p.m. Eastern. Weigh-ins are done. Ceremonial weigh-ins are done. We only had one hiccup on the scale. Shane Young missed weight by almost four pounds. His fight will go on as scheduled with Gabriel Miranda, forfeiting 30% of his purse. But other than that, we are good to go. For tomorrow night, unless you're in Australia, we're good to go for Sunday. Whole different thing with the times. So, yeah, we're going to have some fun tomorrow no matter what. Uh, we got Game Bread Bare Knuckle MMA tonight as well. So you can check that out. It's free on the on Jorge Mazadal's YouTube channel. It's going to be on social media as well. 
We'll be covering that. I will be covering that as well for the website. I'm intrigued. I will say that. I am intrigued by this. I'm more intrigued about just the event itself more than anything. And I'm, I'm oddly curious about Junior Dos Santos versus Fabricio Verdum. I'll shred it and ripped and not in the USADA testing pool. Both guys look pretty damn good getting off the bus. Should be interesting. So it is a free-for-all Friday. We can talk about MMA. We can talk about 293. We can talk about game bread. We can talk about fights on the books. We can talk about pro wrestling. We can talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. And I figured we would hear from Toke because of uh, some news I just saw on Twitter about a minute ago. Toke, hello. Um, yeah, Mark Madsen, he, uh, the Danish correspondent here, of course. Uh, so Mark Madsen, he, uh, like nine hours ago, I think, posted a, a video on Instagram that he was signing a bout agreement. And then he was, of, of course, contacted by Danish media because he has a good relationship with media that isn't MMA media because of management. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he has signed a bout agreement to fight in MSG. And he says that the opponent will be Jared Gordon if Jared Gordon if he signs the contract. So I don't know if you if you if it, if he has signed yet Jared Gordon, but I would like to hear what this this matchup. Uh, I would just like to hear how do you see this going down and is it kind of weird that they're pushing this so hard that they're putting it at MSG? That part I don't quite get. But other than that, Mike, how do you see the matchup and uh, what do you see for the winner? Do you see uh, a Patty Pimplett matchup for the winner? Is that it? Anyway, have a good Friday, Mike. Uh, probably not the Patty fight. I don't know. Maybe Jared wins. And even if Jared loses, I think that fight's still in play. It makes sense for New York. I mean, Jared, I believe, is, is from the area. So it's kind of I – know, I know he doesn't live there now necessarily, but he has ties to the area. So it would make sense from that standpoint to maybe sell some last-minute tickets. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, I will find out hopefully as the show goes on if uh, that is a go. But from all accounts – both fighters are repped by the same team. So I would assume if Mark's putting that information out there, the manager of both fighters is aware of this. Um, so there you go. But hopefully I will have an answer for you sometime in the show. I just uh, sent a couple messages out and we'll see if I can get a response. But yeah. I figured that's what you were calling about. I saw the great Marcel Dorf tweet that out. And if Marcel's tweeting it out, then I feel pretty confident that that fight is a go because that's how Marcel rolls. Marcel doesn't mess around with that stuff. Tristan, hello. Hey, Mike. Can you hear me? Yep. Uh, good, good. Um, I, think, uh, I think we talked about it uh, or it was talked about yesterday about the whole situation with, with Duplessis and Dana and Izzy saying, you know, you know what, he may not get the next title shot. And I'm just like, all right, man, come on. Man. Like, because the, the thing is, it's just, it's just like, it's so, it's so weird. Like, oh, most likely I'll probably give Hamzat versus um, the winner of Hamzat and Paul Casa. I might give him the title shot. I control this. And I'm like, yeah, no. And I would watch that fight. That's fine. But you, like, Izzy, 
you gotta understand it from Duplessis' point, and you and you quoted it. Sky just fought what the the second best middleweight in the division in um, Robert Whitaker, and he goes out there and beats that dude. You know how hard it is to beat Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker is one of the most hardest fights, and he went out there and beat them. And he had an injury, and he's like, "Yo, dude, Duplessis is like, yo, I'll see you in Africa, quarter next year, peace." But instead of Izzy should have been like, you know what? I wanted to be on this card. I'm going to fight Strickland. You know, let that dude take his time. He wants to heal up from his injury, whatever. I'm going to still beat that dude, even even if he has a full training camp. And then I would have been, everybody would have been cool with that. Like, oh, that's, there you go. That's cool. I'm good with that. But for him to say the certain things that he has said, it's just like, oh, my God, come on. And Dana, too, I'm like, oh, my God, man. Like, and I know it's a game. This is how it works. It's like it's a promotional thing. They're going to try to do whatever. You know, it's a chess game, especially for Izzy, because it's like, I want to make sure the advantage is on my side, so I'm going to say these certain things to so I look good in it, which is fine. We understand it. I understand. You understand. It's a game. But come on, be a little bit logical about the situation. Like, yo, let the man recover. I'll see you, I'll see you next year in Africa. Let's do this. And that's it. Like, I don't get, I don't, I don't get it. And if they do and screw, and then it's like, then you're gonna, they're gonna make it harder because, like, okay, now since since um, Izzy said I control this, you're gonna have to fight Jared Cannonier, and it's like, all right, so now he has to go beat Jared Cannonier when he just beat Robert Whitaker. That doesn't make sense. So I just, so I, I mean, what do you just? I mean, I think you said your piece about it yesterday, but I, I, I mean, I might have went away from the phone when I was listening, so I didn't really get your perspective on it. But how do you feel about it? Like, were you just like looking at Izzy and Dana, like, what are we doing? But I don't know. Thanks, Mike. Well, I mean, the, the the biggest mistake came from the UFC because when they announced the DDP Whitaker fight, they said the winner of this fight is going to fight Israel Adesanya on the Sydney card in September. So you have to think that when this fight was presented to both guys, they were aware of that situation. On the other side, do you think there's any chance in on God's green earth that Robert Whitaker would have turned around in two months to fight Izzy? for maybe his last opportunity at this guy on two months' notice? No. The whole thing was dumb. None of it made sense. The matchup was fine, but the timing of it was terrible. It was terrible. Why not just say, we're just gonna, we want Izzy to fight, let's just have Sean Strickland do it, and that's it. But you put it out there that the winner of that fight's going to turn right around and fight Izzy. Most of us, I mean, we talked about it for weeks leading up to the fight that the timing of it was horrendous and that there's no way either guy is going to turn around in two months' notice. Maybe DDP, if he gets out relatively unscathed, which he kind of did, but he was banged up going into the fight. It was the biggest fight of his life. It's a weird situation. And here's what I'll say about it. If I am Drinkus Duplessis, I'm going to Sydney. I don't know if he's there. I haven't checked the social media. That dude better be in that arena when that fight happens, he better be sitting cage side. He better be throwing a tantrum, trying to get in that octagon. He needs to be a part of this and he needs to insert himself back into the storyline because between what Dana said, what Izzy's been saying with Hamzat Shemaev getting ready to fight Paulo Costa, there's a lot of roadblocks here and it's terrible because there's some heat on this Izzy DDP fight. The fight's not happening in Africa, I tell you that. But 
Izzy has said a lot of things this week, including, I want to be part of UFC 300. And how the UFC is going to present that event, they're going to put together the biggest card possible. And as much as I want to see Israel Adesanya fight DDP and settle that grudge, you cannot argue with me in any way, shape, or form. You, there is no compelling case you can make that will ever convince me right now that Israel Adesanya versus Drikas Supasi is a bigger fight than Israel Adesanya versus Hamzat Shemaev. Hamzat Shemaev versus Izzy is the biggest fight you can make in this division, and it's not even close. It is going to double whatever Izzy and DDP does. The problem is Hamzat is, I don't know if unreliable is the right word, but he is a huge mystery. This dude fights once a year. We haven't seen him since September of last year. It's been over a year since he's fought. He is scheduled to fight Paul Costa in Abu Dhabi, but what happens after that? Is he going to be able to fight in Vegas? Is he going to be able to fight wherever UFC 300 is going to happen? I don't know. But if I'm DDP, get your ass to Sydney and make sure you are there for this fight. And just insert yourself in there. Even if like security has to hold you back from getting into the octagon, at least that image is there. But it's just, listen, it's the UFC's fault. It's 100% the UFC's fault for putting that fight together. It's also the UFC's fault for bringing Izzy in the cage to get in DDP's face to help build this storyline for a fight that's not even happening. The whole thing is super weird. And you never know, folks. I know it's super unlikely, but if Sean Strickland beats Israel Adesanya, then all bets are off and none of this even matters. So, I don't know. Whole thing's weird. I, I just... I don't know. We need, we need the old Dana back, who's positive and wants to promote things. Uh, Joe, hello. Yeah, what's up, Mike? What's going on? Nothing much, man. I, I agree with you about the uh, DDP and Izzy situation. I think Hamza would be a much more uh, entertaining fight. Uh, timing would be right, and I agree with you. That would If he goes in there and dominates Paulo Costa, uh, that's definitely the fight to make. Um, what I wanted to ask you is about the Manal Cop and uh, Kai Kara France situation. And all that stuff. I uh, got really pumped after watching that presser yesterday. So I uh, wasn't as pumped to, to watch the fight prior. But now I'm really looking forward to that. And what do you think on a potential matchup against uh, Manal Cobb versus Kai Car France? Thanks, man. Have a good Friday. Thanks, man. So it's interesting because Manel is an, Manel's kind of an animal on fight week. Like, any calm, cool demeanor that that guy carries just kind of goes away on fight week. There is a part of me that didn't love his energy at the press conference. Like, I get that he was sort of the star of the show. But he's fighting a tough dude. Like, he's fighting a really talented young guy. And there is, like, a fear as someone who's super high in El Cap that perhaps he's overlooking this guy. And I, I don't think... I'm hoping he's not, but look, what Manel did with this press conference and, and starting with Kaikar France and getting sort of battling back with Izzy is I hope Manel is just kind of realistic of the situation right now because Manel is 
can play this up. You can say, well, I'm supposed to fight all these guys. They all ducked me, whatever. If he goes out there and just beats Felipe Dos Santos, which he's heavily, heavily favored to do, he needs to be realistic about the situation. He cannot come, he cannot go in there and start screaming and yelling that he wants a title shot. He cannot go in there screaming and yelling, saying he wants to fight Brandon Moreno. He needs to be realistic. And if he goes out and beats Felipe Dos Santos, and he should do it, I don't think a decision's enough here. I think he has to go in there and just blow the doors off this dude. And then all of it's for naught. Like any negativity surrounding Menel Cop and his attitude or whatever, all goes away if he just goes out and runs this dude over. But what's going to happen is he's not going to gain a whole lot from this. He's got more fans. He's got more people intrigued by him. But he's just going to fight Kai Kai France next. Like that's the fight that's going to happen. Could be on a pay-per-view. Could be like a five-round fight night main event. But all he did with throwing stuff at Kai and getting back, going back and forth is just setting up this fight to be rebooked. He's not really going to have much of a say about it. So I like the fight. Like, I think him and Kai Car friends is a great fight. Like, this card looks different. Like, there is a little more pop to this card if Kai France is still on it. But without that fight, you know, Cop's got some interest and got some people on his back, but still not great. Still not great. So we'll see what happens. But I think they're just going to have to rebook in that fight because why the hell not? Daniel, hello. Hey, Mike. Heck of a morning to you. Happy Friday. Um, just going to give a little free-for-all question here. So you kind of brought it up a second ago, just UFC 300. Um, you know, Izzy even brought it up in the press conference just saying, you know, I really want to be on that car because I don't think I'll be around for UFC 400. So it just made me want to go back and look at UFC 200 to compare and UFC 200 was a pretty stacked card. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll let you pull it up for yourself, but I mean, Jim Miller versus Takanori Gomi was was the opener for the card. So, you know, I, I don't know if the UFC is gonna really come close to that, but just wanted to get your opinion on on that UFC 200 card and what you think UFC 300 could be looking like. Thanks, Mike. Kind of tough to say because, like, the UFC's business practices and the way they construct cards, it's so much different now. It's so much different because they have TV deals that are, and they're getting paid a bunch of money that it, it truly doesn't matter what they put on. They're just going to make a ton of money anyways. UFC 200, one of the craziest fight weeks ever. We're supposed to get Daniel Cormier versus John Jones. John Jones tests positive that week. The fight is pulled. They fly in Anderson Silva on like two days notice to fight DC. We get Brock Lesnar beating Mark Hunt, and then fight gets overturned. Amanda Nunes, Misha Tate's the new main event. Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar is like the second fight of the card. Kane Velasquez, Travis Brown was the main card opener. Like, the card was ridiculous, man. Like, it was just ridiculous. Gegard Mousasi, Tiago Santos is the second fight of that card. Joe Lozon, Diego Sanchez, Sage Northcutt, TJ Dillashaw, Rafael Sunsa was on the prelims. Juliana Pena, Kat Zingano was on the prelims. Kelvin Gaslam, Johnny Hendricks, which at that time, both those guys were in really interesting spots. Prelims. Loaded card. UFC 100 was the same way. John Jones was on the prelims at UFC 100. So I think this will be kind of a special card. They'll load it up. 
it, I think it's just going to look kind of like a, an MSG card, really. We'll probably have two title fights, maybe three. Some compelling other just fun fights. We'll load up the prelims a little bit, but I don't... There's still going to be, like, preliminary fights where it's just like, who's this guy? This one just got a contract on the Contender Series. Like, that's probably what's going to happen, but... They'll treat it like a special thing, and it'll be good. It'll be good. If Izzy's headlining, if Izzy's on the card, he's probably headlining. Which, I don't know where that leaves, like, a Connor or anybody like that, but. That's April, man. That's coming. Damn, it's coming pretty quick. Seven months? We're, we're like, seven months away from UFC 300. It seemed like just yesterday I was saying, welcome to 2023 on heck of a morning, and it's already friggin' September. This year's just flying, man. It'll be UFC 300 before you know it. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Uh, Abzualia, do we have you? Yeah, what's up, Mark? How's it going? Good. What's up? Yeah, so um, just got a few things I want to ask and address. Uh, I'll start off with a bit about the recent upcoming UFC events we're going to uh, be seeing, uh, such as 295... 294 and 296. You know, I, I just want to say something regarding to early convo you mentioned. I, I really do think Dana's scheduling and just in general how the fighters have been having a lot of crazy training camps and they're getting injured. It, it's kind of having me a bit concerned for how the Madison Square Garden fix, uh, car, for example, is going to turn out. Because last year we had one of the, the greatest cars for that city and same with you know the Usman Kobe fight two years back but so far this John Jones fight you know I haven't seen any fight that's really been interesting we don't even know if Leon and Kobe is going to fight in the Madison Square Garden card now you know, and that's that itself is quite a 
interesting case because I don't know if you saw, but today Alessandro's manager, he talked back to Submission Radio about that he's going to talk to Hunter and get something done. But from what I believe uh, in my based on the language and the way they've been, the tone has been said, it's possible that could be the possibly the main event or part of the December card. And now where I think things do get interesting, let's say John Jones and Steve Ray is like the biggest fight in that card. Every other card fight, maybe if let's say uh, Armand Sarukian versus Darius happens, maybe they add like a Dan Hooker to that card and maybe a uh, Moscow versus... Um, you know, Arnold Allen or something like that. What I could see happening is December, we might see Colby and Leon, maybe Yuri Prohaska and Alex Pereira. This is just my assumption. And we might see a list of filled out cards because at the moment right now, the UFC is in a bit of an interesting state. We're seeing, you know, this next few weeks and October is basically going to set the stage and um, tone for what is about to happen next year. Um, I'm also just curious to know what are your thoughts on um uh you know Ilya Tuporia fighting for the title next do you think he should fight Alexander Volkanovsky or would it make more sense that you know he fights someone like a Brian Ortega or Yair Rodriguez you know to prove that he's a true number one contender because in my opinion I find that situation a bit weird like yeah Josh Emmett's a good win but he took that guy to five round that guy's literally out of his prime, you know. I think fighting uh, Ortega or Yaya Rodriguez would help, in my opinion. But I would like to know your thoughts on that. And just my final question, how do you see the welterweight division shaping up, shaping up in the next six months? Like, what are some fights that you'd be curious or would like to see? And how does the... Um, what's the word? How does the... Um, the cruise effect for this division take place. You know, will we be seeing certain veterans who are on the top of that division start to take a steep decline? Maybe could we see some of the young contenders fucking it up and probably having to still fight down and up? You know, I'm curious to know your predictions of that. And, you know, as as always, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Have a good day. Thanks, man. Uh, so I'll start with the Colby Leon thing. Yeah, I mean... Like I said, I do think that fight's going to happen this year. I did see Tim Simpson talking to Submission Radio saying it's going to be either November or December. Again, Connor is a factor in all this because if Connor calls the UFC tomorrow and says, hey, I'm going to fight in December, then they're going to shuffle everything around and do that. That's what's going to happen. So to me, the fact that that fight hasn't been announced tells me that there's a chance Connor fights in December. Maybe not a great chance, but even if it's a 3% chance, the UFC is going to hold out and try to cash in on that. There's no doubt about it. What would make sense is just throwing that fight on the MSG card, the Colby-Leon fight, because it's massive. And then December, you keep things open. So if Connor's available, great. If not, you do Sean O'Malley-Cheeto Vera. That's fine. That's a great main event. Sean O'Malley's on fire right now. January, you could do... Yuri versus Alex. Like, that's a great main event. You can put that fight anywhere. It's just two dudes who get in there and chuck them and go out and try to blow each other's doors off. Like, it's going to be super fun. So we'll kind of see how that plays out, but... Excuse me. But I, I do think we'll get Leon Colby before the end of the year. I do think we'll get it before the end of the year. Uh, Taporia. Yes, he should fight Volkanovski. 
That's 100% the fight that should be made. And I hear people say, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to dog on you, Zoalia, but this, oh, he took Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett went to the final round with him. It's because Josh Emmett is absurdly tough. Ilya Taporia beat the shit out of that dude for 25 minutes. Like, he beat his ass all over that octagon. And I was cage-side for that fight. Ilya Taporia beat the brakes off that man. And Josh was just so tough. Too tough for his own good. And that fight could have been stopped on multiple occasions. And the referee let it go. We were talking cage side, like a bunch of us saying, like, oh, maybe Emmett's corner should just, like, throw the towel in because this isn't going to get any better. And it made Josh look good because he kept throwing punches in the fifth round, but he got war- he got whooped in that fight. So it's, it's not like Taporia just jabbed him for 25 minutes. Taporia tried to get him out of there and nearly did multiple times. Like, that was a one-sided ass whooping from Ilya Taporia. So... Yeah, give him the title shot. We don't need to see Brian Ortega, a Brian Ortega fight. We don't need to see anything else. We don't need to see Max Holloway. Just give him the title fight, and let's just see what he can do. He wants it. Volk seems to want it. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Give him the freaking fight. Give him the freaking fight. I'm trying to remember what. Uh... Oh, wealth the welterweight division. Um. I don't know. Because we don't know what's going on. Again, like we can't really answer these questions until the title fight happens. Because if Colby wins the title, all bets are off. Everything's on the table. Everything is possible. It breaks the division if Colby wins the title. Breaks it. Usman could find himself in a title shot if Colby wants that fight. We could see like Dustin Poirier fight for the title. We could see Connor get a title shot. Like, Colby's probably not fighting Shafkat or Bilal or anybody like that. He's going to go for the big money fights. So it's tough to say. It'll be a real interesting to see what they do with Usman. Maybe they do the Wonder Boy fight. I think that makes all the sense in the world. Although I do think Ian Gary is probably going to be the guy for Wonder Boy. Will Usman fight Shafkat? I don't know. Will they offer... Would Bilal fight Usman if they offered him that fight? That's an interesting one as well. But I think the thing I'm interested the most is like, what's next for Ian Gary? Where does Shafkat go? Like, who does he end up fighting? I, I kind of think they're going to do the Gaston fight before the end of the year. Kind of tough to say without actually knowing when that title fight's going to happen and the result of it. Because this division's a weird one. Raphael, hello. Hello, hello. I just, I just have another question for you because right now, tell me about those rumors about uh, if Jorge Masvidal is going to retire or if he's not going to retire it. And the other question is because right now, over the last pay-per-views, which you saw like in the different countries like Australia, United States, also in Singapore, so. Is there a possibility to bring to bring back at one of those pay-per-view events in Latin America, for example, Brazil, Colombia, Chile for the next year? Uh, what, what was the first one? Masvidal retiring? Jorge Masvidal is going to retire, or is not going to retire for the year? Because I understood that he decided to well to not put in a gloss, and he's he's going to be ready for the next fight on the over the next 
over the next few months with the dependency of the scene. Okay. Um, so I actually spoke to Mazadal this week. Uh, I believe that interview is going to drop. I, I know he was on the MAR. I talked to him the day before he went on Ariel's show. Uh, I think we're going to drop that today uh, on the YouTube channel. A little bit of a different conversation. Uh, it doesn't seem like Ma- like Mazal is, is not fighting. He's not fighting right now. Uh, he told me, I don't think, like, I think he will fight again at some point. But the way Mazal is presenting it is like maybe in like two years. Like when I get bored of, pro- he is super into this promotional stuff. Like he is super into promoting these cards. He really is. And the way he presented it was like when I get bored of that and I get bored of just being retired and I get that itch, then yeah, I'll do it. But yeah, I don't know. I know Ariel's more, Ariel's way more confident than I am that Mazdal is just going to come back and fight next year. Which is interesting because, again, if Colby wins the belt, they could make that fight. Like, they could bring Mazadal back, and that would be a gigantic fight. It makes no sense. I mean, none. No sense at all. But the UFC loves putting grudge matches together, and that's a big one. There's a lot of history between those two guys, and some of it is still being figured out in a courtroom. But, yeah, I, I don't think he's fighting anytime soon. I don't think he's fighting anytime soon. Like, what's like, what would you want to see? Really? I mean, maybe you do a Gaethje fight at 170 or something. Like a unification BMF title fight. I don't know. Gaethje didn't seem all that interested in that idea when he was at the Q&A today. Maybe him and Connor. Like, that'd be interesting. I don't know. I just don't know if there's a lot for him. Like, he's got... Mazadal, despite the losses he had and, and getting thumped by Colby, like if he had beat Gilbert Burns, he would have been like in line for a title shot, which is crazy to think about, considering the 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 long losing streak he was on. So, yeah, I mean, he's still a big star, he's still a notable name, but I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. Uh, will they do? A, will the UFC do pay for in like Brazil or Latin America next year? I don't know. They are going. They've been to Brazil already this year. They did a pay per view. They're going back in November for a uh, for a big fight night card, the Jelton Almeida Curtis Blades card, November fourth. So maybe they end up back in Brazil next year. I don't know if they'll do another pay per view there because that pay per view did not do well business wise. Uh, I don't think it did great buy wise. That a building was. Not sold out, I can tell you that much. So, yeah, I don't know. But we'll see. The UFC, Dana has been teasing. They're, they're going to go to some, some new places over the next year. So, perhaps, perhaps. But I think there's some, like, there's some areas of the world that they are focusing on. They want to go to, they want to go to Africa. Uh, France is now like a big market to go to. They love the UK. They love Australia. Uh, if, if one of those Latin American countries wants to pay the UFC a bunch of money to come, they'll go. So they're going to have to pony up, I think. I don't think the UFC is going to be actively throwing darts and be like, oh, let's go there. But if these areas like Sydney and 
like Salt Lake City did, and they're just paying the UFC millions and millions of dollars to come to host cards there, then they'll go. But that's probably the only way that happens, honestly, at this point. Panda, hello. My man, Mike, how are you? Good. What's up? Um, yeah, so that's kind of crazy. I did just take a step back and look. And Jim Miller not only is going to make UFC 300, he could be on track for UFC 400. We're going to find out soon. Um, secondly, I 100% agree with you. Hamza Chimaya versus Israel Adesanya is not only the biggest fight for the welterweight division, it could be the biggest fight for the UFC in 2024 because I think Hamza is just a matchup nightmare for Israel. You know what I mean? Like we saw Pereira hold him down and kind of control him a little bit. Lord knows what Hamza would do if he got his hands on him. And uh, I keep asking you, I'm going to continue to ask you. It sounds like we might get it. My question to you is what's your prediction? I think Colby is just going to lay on Leon for five rounds and we're going to get an end new when that fight happens. What about you, Mike? Have yourself a heck of a Friday. It's tough to call. Um, I mean, I'll start with the Izzy Hamza thing. Like, that's an interesting fight. The fact that Izzy is saying Hamza's name is is very interesting, and, and kudos to him. But again, we have to realize, like, Hamza has a fight. He's fighting Paul Acosta. It's a tough fight, man. That's a tough fight. So he's got to go in there and beat Paul Acosta. And if he goes out there and just picks up Paul Acosta and slams him around the octagon and puts him away early, like, DDP might be screwed. He just might be screwed. Like, even if Dana didn't say the things he said about DDP, about, oh, well, you know how I feel about people not taking fights. Like, Hamza just goes in there and breaks Paulo Costa. Like, I think DDP could get passed over anyways. But again, we don't know what the deal is with Hamza. Like, is this, is this what we're going to get? Every 13 months or so, 11, 12, 13 months, we get a Hamza fight? It's just hard to get excited for it at this point because he's just not active enough and there's so many questions about him. So, and then Leon Colby, it's just going to be one of those fights, man. Like if Colt, like, I think it has the potential to look a lot like the second Kamara Usman fight where Kamara looked real good early Colby just looked kind of stuck in the mud a little bit after like three rounds or two and a half rounds. And then eventually Colby was like, all right, now I got to get cooking. And when he got more aggressive, like he was beaten, he was winning all these striking exchanges. Like he won the last half of that fight. And it's like, he clearly won the last half of that fight. I mean, Colby got dinged up a little bit early I think he got, I don't know if he got dropped or they scored in a knockdown in the first round or whatever, but Colby just, it took too long for him to get going. But once he got going, he was, he was beating Kamara Usman. So it's going to be one of those things where if Colby doesn't have a good start, like he's going to have to play catch up because Leon's really good. I don't think he gets enough credit for how well-rounded and good he is. And that fight could go very, very similar to the second Usman fight. Having said that, that's one of those fights where if Colby gets Leon down and kind of wears him out, gets him down and has tons of control time in the first round and then gets a quick takedown in the second round, like I think we're like, oh, we're going to be – this is what this fight's going to look like for the next 15, 15, 20 minutes. 
it's a very real world where that happens. So it's a good fight. Like it's a really interesting stylistic clash. So we'll see. Go ahead, Forehand Sniper. Yep. Hey, heck of a morning. Just a quick one for you. I just wanted your opinion on what do you think is going to be fight of the night? Do you have a prediction for that? That's literally it. Fight of the night. Um, hmm. I mean, Tai Tuivasa, Alexander Volkov could be that because I do think they're going to go in there and just start swinging hams at each other. But if if I'm going like off the the main card board, it's Jack Jenkins, Chepi Mariscal. I think that's the one. Love that fight a lot. Wish it was getting a little more buzz. Chepe Mariscal and Trevor Peak was just insane. And Jack Jenkins, his last fight was pretty damn good too. Uh, they were both they both fought on the Jacksonville card. I think Jenkins fought Jamal Emmer's close fight. Mariscal took the peak fight at one up a weight class on like super short notice, and that fight was insane, absolutely insane. So that should be super fun. I really, really like that fight. So I'll go with that. But if Ty and Volkov start landing big shots on each other, if that fight goes like two and a half, three minutes, like that could still win fight of the night. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cole, go ahead. Hi, Mike. Uh, so one of Dana's favorite things to say in his press conferences is like, just wait till we till you see what we do next year. And it's like, like we wake up and we talk to you. We like to hear what everyone has to say in these Twitter spaces about three times a week. We're hardcore fans. And I haven't felt all summer like, it, like I just need to hands down. I got to just, oh, I'll buy this pay-per-view. Like, I feel like we are hardcore enough fans where we shouldn't have to think twice about purchasing a product, yet these cards, like in the year 2023, this Israel Adesanya is one of the biggest uh, fighters in the whole sport, yet everyone universally is like just not buying this card. Like there is something seriously wrong with this product, Mike. He's, he, keep, he keeps saying, wait till, we, wait till you see what we do next year. All he's talking about is building PIs and going to different countries. The vast majority of the fans do not give a shit about that. They want quality cards every weekend. Just like, like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the sport. I, there's maybe been two instances where I'm like, okay, like I'll buy this card. Cause 
because it's a great card. And I should feel that way 12 times a year. And I felt that way maybe two times this whole year. Is something just seriously wrong with this product? I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I get it. Um, and look, it, it's it's so funny to me. And I, and I still get this. And look, I don't look at the comments that much. But like this notion that MMA fighting hates the UFC is fucking ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I know BC talks about it too. Brian Campbell from Morning Combat, when he comes on, and I talk to BC a lot anyways, like even just off shows. And there's just like this notion that because we're critical of the UFC and the card quality, that we hate them. When it just couldn't be further of the truth. Like I leave my family at least once a month because of the UFC. Because I, I, love the, I love the UFC. I wouldn't be doing this for a living if I didn't love the UFC. However, I think it is fair that we are allowed to be honest with ourselves. We are allowed to be honest about the quality that we get. And f- guess what? As a fan of the sport, not just a media member, but somebody who loves watching MMA, who has dedicated his life to the sport outside of just the personal li- lives that we have who cover the sport, it is our job to be fans too. Like we turn in the journalism card, but like we are still fans of what we're watching. Like if we are inundated by this sport and we have to cover it 46 fucking weekends a year and we lose out any chance of like going out on dates, on date nights on Saturdays, like we are allowed to have opinions, ladies and gentlemen. It is okay. Just the same, and I make this comparison all the time. Just the same as a Thursday night football game between two shitty teams. We're like, do I really want to watch the Browns and the fucking Bears play a Thursday night football game? And then you watch the game even somewhat reluctantly and you're like, okay, this is as bad as I thought it was going to be. Or maybe they just, they, they score like a hundred combined points and you're like, but do you hear NFL fans saying, see, see you shit on this game, but they scored 100 points. Like, it's craziness. It's absolutely insanity to me that we can be critical of a product that we just demand better from. You are the best organization in the world. You have done this many times over the years. You built this juggernaut doing a certain thing. But now the whole game has changed because you're making all this money and the company has been sold. And now you've merged with WWE and you have this ESPN deal and you're selling tickets in every arena and countries and cities are paying you millions of dollars to come. Like you've earned this. That's great. But that doesn't mean you, that doesn't mean that we can't be critical of things. And the problem is they act like they don't even care. They, it's like, they act like they don't even care because they, they're making so much money on this. It's just so many, there's so many cards. There's so many cards and there's not enough compelling personalities in the company or at least none of which that we get to see like these fighters aren't allowed to show their personalities they have to wear a uniform and they have to do this and they have to do that and the certain guidelines they have to follow but we it is so expensive to be a mixed martial arts fan it is so expensive to be a ufc fan i mean you're shelling out over a thousand dollars a year to watch this product 283 was not good that was the first pay-per-view of the year. We got Moreno Figgy, which is cool. 
But, like, we got Johnny Walker, Paul Craig, we got Jessica Andrade, Laura Murphy, Gilbert Burns, Neil Magny, Moreno Figgy, and we got a coddled, cobbled together main event between Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira because of the awful decision-making of UFC 282. 284, we got Makachev and Volk, still to be best fight of the year. Yair and Josh Emmett. We got JDM, Randy Brown. Justin Taffa, Paca Porta. We got Jimmy Crude, Alonzo Menafield fighting to a draw. Like That card on paper wasn't great either. We got the, the main event, and it left us with like a great taste in our mouths. And we got a sensational performance from Yair Rodriguez, that card. So it left us feeling good, and JDM got a nice win. But like, that's not a great card on paper. 285... Like, and I've made this mistake too, and someone called me out on it, and um, and I take full responsibility for it. 285 was super fucking great. Like, that is, this was a great card. This is a really good card. Like, there are some names deep within there that weren't great, but we got Freed Basharat, we got Tabitha Ricci, we got Cameron Simon, Mana Martinez, we got Ian Gary on the card, on, buried in the prelims. Marc-Andre Barrio, Julian Marquez is super fun. Amanda Hibas, Viviani Arujo is in the prelims. Dr- DDP was on the prelims against Derek Brunson. Whoop that ass. We got a not tremendous fight between Cody Garbrandt and Trevin Jones. But then the main card, we got Bo Nickel. We got Gamrot Turner, which is fun. Shafkat Jeff Neal was a sick fight. We got Grasso Shevchenko. We got John, the return of John Jones against Zero God. That, is a, that was a fucking great card. Really, really good. Super good. 286, we got Ed, Edwards Usman 2 or 3. We got Gaethje Fazeev. I mean, who's going to complain about that fight? Gunnar Nelson, Brian Barberena was on that main card. Marvin Vittori, Roman Delize, Jennifer Maya, Casey O'Neill. On paper, not spectacular, but we did get two really important fights. 287 was really good. Like, that, 285... 284 was one of those ones that built up for sure. 285 was like, let's fucking go. That was one of those cards. 287 was like that for me too. 287 was one of those, get me to April 8th, please. We got Raul Rosas Jr. lost to Christian Rodriguez. We got Kevin Holland, Ponzinibbio. Rob Font, Adrian Yanez is a banger. Gilbert Burns, Jorge Mazadal had a lot of stakes to it. Fight wasn't all that great. And then we got Izzy Pereira, too, which was huge at the time. 288 was stinky. I mean, this was stinky, stinky, stinky. We were supposed to get Oliveira Darius. We were supposed to get Bryce Mitchell, Jonathan Pierce on that card, too. Then we were supposed to get Mobzar of Loya, Bryce Mitchell on that card. We ended up getting Mobzar of Loya versus Diego Lopez instead. Charles Jordan, Crone Gracie was the main card opener. Uh, Jan Jonan, Jessica Andrade, cool fight. Then we got that just weird, thrown-together, nonsensical Bilal Muhammad, Gilbert Burns, Cobain event for five rounds. And then we got Sterling Cejudo. That was not a great card. That was not a great card. It was tough going in. It was a tough watch, if we're being honest. Not great. 289, not a lot of name value. 
Not a lot of name value. Nunez Aldana was the main event. We did get Oliver Darius in that card. Mike Malott, Adam Fugit was on the main card. Danny Ige, Nate Landwehr was a great fight. Marc-Andre Barra, Eric Anders ended up being a really good fight. On paper, like, is this, is 289, I don't know. Here's the thing about, if, if 293 is like 289, I'm going to be happy. Because 289 was fun. On paper, not great. But it was a fun card. Like, if you bought it, and, you were, and I know a lot of people were reluctant to spend the money, and it got, like, no buzz. But it was a fun watch. 290 was good. 291, I, I was like, yes. 291, I was jacked up for. 292, I was jacked up for, too. But to be fair, it was the Boston thing and spending time in Boston and being a part of it. It was kind of a sloggy slog of an, of an event, but we lost fights on that one too. So I don't know. T- the moral of the story is just because we expect more and we demand more doesn't mean we hate. Doesn't mean we hate. And in fact, we've seen the UFC do really good things this year. We saw 290 being uh, 290 was, I mean, 290, like 290 was incredible. Now that I look at it, Bo Nickel just killed a man. Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner was awesome. Drickus Duplessis beat Robert, finished Robert Whitaker. Pantoja Marino was incredible. And Volk pitched a perfect game against Jair Rodriguez. Like, that was a great card. We got the Robbie Lawler retirement. That was, like, spectacular. And, like, when you watch 290 and you see what happened to 291, <coughs> excuse me, you're like, okay. When the UFC, like, really tries to put their best foot forward, they can do it. And then we see it, and we're like, this is what, like, we know you're capable of this. And then we come back with 293, and we're like, fuck, man. But it's just, it's the business, man. It's the business. It's the TV deal. It's having to put on 46 cars a year. And that's why they have the Contender Series and the Ultimate Fighter, so they could bring in these guys and gals to, like, fill up the roster. Like, who is the dude who just got... I watched the Contender Series on Tuesday. Some great performances. I think four of those guys should have got... Con- three of the guys and one of the gals should have got the contract. But the middleweight, who Dana said had the worst fight in the history of the Contender Series, got a contract? Like, come on, man. It's just it's so obvious. It's just so obvious. And Dana being more concerned about power slap than the UFC. It's just, I don't know. Fans, it leaves a bad taste in fans' mouths. And Dana's always going to have his, the people who have his back. Like, and that's fine. Like, we talked about just random Dana quotes on BTL yesterday. And people are like, oh, you know, bunch of cucks. All this. And it's not that at all. It's not that at all. Everyone has been hit. There's not a promoter on here that we have not talked about in a negative way. And it's not that we want to do that, but it's right there. How many times have I shit on Chaudhry? How many times have I shit on Don Davis? A million. I've talked about Scott Coker and his lack of ability to promote and get things over. Like, no one, like, the UFC just does so much, so many more events. They're just out there a lot more, and these things are said publicly. And Dana likes to say, like, oh, well, they write these articles and they mis- misinterpret what I'm saying. No, we're not. You say them. You say them. Aljamain Sterling was, like, 
the champion, you just buried him so many times. You did it with Tyron Woodley. You did it with Demetrius Johnson. Now you're doing it with Drinkus Duplessis. Dude gets the biggest win of his career. And now we're just burying him because he won't turn around two months after beating Robert Whitaker? The fuck is that? It's okay to demand more, people. It's okay to demand more. And Brian Campbell makes the point, like, they can't keep this up. Yeah, they can, actually, because they're just blowing the doors off the ticket prices and all of this stuff, and everyone's still paying them. Everyone's still paying them. They sold out this card without a main event. The only fighter on the card, the only two fighters on the card that people knew about before they bought tickets to this event on Saturday was Tai Tuivasa and Alexander Volkov. That's it. And they still sold out the building. They are printing money hand over fist. And from a business perspective, they don't need to cater to any of us. Because it doesn't matter. Because they're making the money anyways. But we would just like to see a little more effort. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with demanding the best from the fucking best. There you go. Soapbox kicking it to the side. A deep hello. Good. Uh, yeah, so I had a few questions. The first one is the Mexican Independence Day card next week. What is your prediction for the main and co-main event? Um, my second question is about managers and what Sean O'Malley said about how managers are explo exploiting fighters. <clears throat> and that is why he doesn't have a manager himself and he gets to do everything on his own. So I just wanted to know what was your thoughts on that. And of course, managers that are close to Dana and the UFC, we know who those managers are, so um, I don't want to bring up any names, but you can go ahead and speak on that. Uh, so, yeah, those are my two questions. Uh, once again, thank you for letting me on. Uh, of course. Uh, let me just pull up that card. Noche UFC. Which, by the way, if we're being honest, not a far cry. Might even be better than Saturday's card, and we're getting that for free. Uh, we get Grasso Shevchenko two. It's tough, man. That that fight's so tough to call. I have to dive in a little bit more. Both those fights are really tough to call. I'm leaning Kevin Holland in the co-main event, but I don't know. They're both like really tough fights to call. <sighs> I was so impressed with Alexa Grasso when she fought Shevchenko the first time. I wonder if like that same hunger and that like underdog mentality is still there. And if Shevchenko's on, like if Shevchenko's got her fastball, she's going to win that fight. I don't know. It's, it's so tough to call. I was just so impressed with Alexa Grasso. So friggin' impressed. And the manager thing, look, we've, we've talked about this before. I don't know. The thing about like management and agents and other sports compared to MMA and a lot of combat sports is like, I could literally sign off right now and just be like, Hey, my media career is over. I'm going to go manage fighters and I can just go find fighters and manage and just be like, I'm your manager now. And that's it. 
Like, literally, that's it. That's all I have to do. When in other sports, like, you have to have guidelines and you have to have certain qualifications and all that stuff. Anybody on this call right now can be a manager of an MMA fighter. There's no restrictions. Like, very, if there's, I don't even think there's any. I don't think there's any at all. And that opens the floodgates. On top of that, I'm also not going to name names, but it's pretty clear. You know, if you curry favor with the UFC, if you have a close relationship to the matchmakers, you get certain perks. You get certain opportunities that other managers and other fighters don't get. And what happens oftentimes, and it fucking drives me crazy, and it's the reason why the fighters haven't come together and formed some sort of association, not really a union, is that in other sports the agents and the managers work for the athlete. But in MMA, it seems like the athlete works for the manager. And that is not how it should be. That's not how it should be. And there are certain fighters within these big stables that'll just say, you work for me, bro. Like, you can't ban me from talking to anybody. I'm just going to go do it anyways. But not everybody does that. It's just a weird business. It's just a weird business where... Managers are tight with the promoter and they, they care more. It's, a, it's out there. I mean, it's out there. I'm not saying anything insane. But there are certain managers who curry favor and are tight with the UFC. And sometimes it's more important than getting the client what they want. That's just how the sport is. Now, eventually we're going to get to a point where this lawsuit is really going to take off and we're going to see some files opened up and we're going to learn a lot of shit that was not made public. This lawsuit could change the game in a lot of respects. How management is being perceived by fans. How all of this works. I can tell you, it ain't pretty. Like, it ain't pretty. I have conversations with people all the time about some of the shitty things that go on behind the scenes of this sport. And I think we're going to learn some lessons, my friends. I think we're going to learn some lessons. So I get where Sean's coming from. He's had a couple of different managers. Um, I know Colby's had managers. He's on his own now too. And there are others like that. And that, look, there are some, there are some very good managers out there uh, who care specifically about the client who are very honest. I've talked to managers who have had fighters come up to them and say, hey, I want you to manage me. And they say, no, because you want to get to the UFC. I don't think you're ready. And they, they're just really honest about where the athlete is at at the, at the time. And some fighters don't like that. And then some fighters just like, I want to get to the UFC so bad. I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I'm 3-0. I'm just going to go. If I get the chance, I'm just going to go, even though I'm not ready. And there are some managers who will be like, no, I'm not going to rep you because all you want to do is get to the UFC and you need like five more fights. So if you can give me five more fights, then I'll rep you. And they're just like, no, I want to get to the UFC right now. There are those people out there. And I have relationships with those people as well. So I don't know. To each their own. To each their own. All right, we'll take two more and then I get to go. Uh, we'll go Octagon blog, then we'll go to Thomas, and then I got to get out of here. Uh, go ahead, Octo Unblog. How are you? Um, I have one point about uh, Hamza Chimaev. 
if the MMA media in the U.S. want to know what's really going on with him, you have to contact Afton, Afton Blatted, that's a mainstream uh, newspaper in Sweden, if you really want to know about him. Secondly, I think Sean Strickland will upset uh, Izzy this Saturday. And the third point is there will be a documentary about Phil Baroni, who is in prison in Mexico. It's an Austrian-German production, uh, Wolfgang Herzog, I think. He's uh, specialized in making documentaries about people on death row. And Phil Baroni is in prison for such a long time now, and he will stay there forever, I think. He's a former UFC champion, as we all know. Thank you. Hold on. No, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. You said something. I need. I need more. Please tell okay. me. Please tell me how Sean Strickland is going to win this fight. I'm not saying you're you're wrong, but tell me how this is going to happen. Okay. Well, as we all know, he fought against Alex Pereira before, right? Right. So before Alex Pereira knocked him down or knocked him out, whatever, he had some decent chances. And if you compare that fight with all the fights Alex Pereira had with Izzy, I, I give him a 65% chance to upset Izzy at this moment. I think Izzy is, you know, at the fight, the last fight with Alex, he was, of, of course, the, the KO was uh, phenomenal. But before that, you know, Pereira had enormous chances to knock him out. So I, I give uh, Strickland a, a serious chance to win Saturday. A lot of people underestimate the situation. Wow. Look, you, you, if you're right, you come on the show Tuesday and you take your, your victory lap. 65% chance? You better bet your fucking house on that, man. Golly. 65% chance? You're giving him a 65% chance? What are the betting odds on this fight right now? Plus 470? Dude, bet the farm if you're giving him a 65% chance. I just don't see it, man. I don't see it. Like, he doesn't have that, like... I mean, look, anything can happen, but... Like, Sean ain't gonna care. Is it? Like, the Pereira fight is, like... Part of the reason why I don't think he's got a shot because they had a game plan on how to beat him and it was a smart one. And Strickland was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the total opposite. And then he got folded. I don't think Strickland has that one hitter quitter power. He's, he's one of those death by a thousand lunchboxes guys. I mean, it would be, it would be incredible if Sean gets it. But, I mean, he's got to be – I can't even say he's got to be perfect because, like, the way he's got to beat Izzy, he's got to be, like, just completely off the radar. He's got to be, like, imperfectly perfect. Like, he's got to do, like, all the wrong things perfectly. And that's his, like, best chance to win this fight. It's – yeah. It's just a tall order, man. It's just a really tough matchup for him. Thomas, go ahead. Hey, Mike, thanks for letting me on again today. Um, I mentioned the last day we were speaking about UFC 286. I wanted your opinion on Yanal Ashmuz. So he destroyed Sam Patterson, who came from the Contender Series at UFC 286. And just on that, 
Um, how many tickets do uh, fighters get for their family? Uh, Yanal Ashmoose's brother and his family were actually in the stands behind us and were probably the only people out of 20,000 people when he knocked them out that went absolutely apeshit because they were calling for 50, 50 grand bonus, which in fact he didn't actually get. And then the last bit, um, obviously I mentioned I stay up really late to watch the fights in the UK. If the American fans had a choice, would they stay up and get 90 to 95% of pay-per-views for free? Or would they rather pay for them on normal prime time? I'll tell you what, man. Um, I love the early cards. Love them. Uh, Singapore started at 5 a.m. on the East Coast, and I was I was all about it, man. I was all about it. To me, it's like they always say, like, oh, we cater to the East Coast market. No, you don't. 10 p.m. Eastern, like, that doesn't cater to us. I would rather <coughs> I'd rather just get it done, man. Like, I'd rather get it done. I loved the 5 a.m. start time. I loved when they were doing, the like, that big July tour during the pandemic on Fight Island, and they would have, like, you know, the normal pay-per-view times, but then they would do the fight night cards somewhere, like, at random times. Then they would have like a Wednesday card. I believe like the Michael Chiesa, Neil Magny card started like 7 a.m. Eastern. And I was like, yes, let's go. I love that. And then we're like wrapped and packed by like 3 p.m. It was awesome. It was freaking incredible. So I, personally, I would rather that. I'd rather like the 5 a.m. start times than the 10 p.m. start times. I would absolutely rather that. Still get a, still get a couple hours shut eye. Could definitely do it. You know, Ashmoos, look, he looked great against Sam Patterson. He looked great against Chris Duncan. Chris Duncan picked that dude apart. So it'd be fun. Dude's a finisher. But I don't like he's also in like the toughest division in the sport, so. Uh, he'll be a fun guy to watch, but I don't think he's gonna be like a top fifteen guy or anything like that. But you can still make a pretty darn good living and have a nice career, not being a top fifteen guy, which he's probably not, but still fun. And that's good. All right, real quick, Sivaram, and then this this is it for for reals for reals. Go ahead, Sivaram. Good. UFC 291. Yes. Uh, if you remember uh, very well, uh, I said that before the fight happening, UFC 291, uh, that weekend on Friday Friday morning in the space, I said that uh, I dreamt that Justin Gizzi will be the winner of the that fight. And it happened, Mike. <laughs> yeah. And since then, I'm, yeah, I've been joining these spaces, but I'm not requesting the uh, chance to talk joining uh, this space. Uh, just, to, just to saw the tweet from uh, MMAfighting.com that Justin is, is saying that he dreamt of ending Connor's career. <laughs> uh, that's why I thought that, oh, oh my God. I dreamt that you are going to KO the Dustin Poirier and that happened. The dreams come true. Maybe some. And uh, he's saying that he's dreamed of uh, ending the Connor's career. <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> I've talked about this for the last like four or five years. If there's one fight 
like I, I want to. Justin Gaethje is involved in like the two fights I have to see before it's all said and done. One is Justin Gaethje Max Holloway. Two is Justin Gaethje Conor McGregor. Justin Gaethje Conor McGregor is not going to last a long time, but for the amount of for each second that that fight takes lasts, it's going to be absolute utter chaos. There will not be a more chaotic fight in the history of the UFC than Conor McGregor versus Justin Gaethje. There is nothing. There will be nothing to compare it to. It will be the most insane fight ever, and it's only going to last like four minutes. But it's going to be the most insane four minutes you've ever seen. So I really want that fight to happen. There's meat on that bone. You could do the BMF title. Like it's there, and Gaethje is showing more interest in it. For a long time, he was like, "Fuck this guy. I'm not like I'm not even going to give him the time of day." But now. He seems a little more intrigued by it. He's got a little more cachet with this BMF title and his name value. So, I mean, please give me that fight. Please give me that fight. Like, I feel bad for Michael Chandler, but if they just dump the Chandler fight and do Connor versus Gaethje for the BMF title, like, you will get zero complaints from me. Zero. Absolutely zero. That is the fight of fights. And Justin Gaethje would probably win that fight, but Connor's going to give it his all, and he's going to he's going to get in there and get in Gaethje's face and throw a bunch of bombs at him. That fight is just absolute insanity. So we'll see. We'll see if we can get it done. All right, that's it, everybody. Uh, Three p.m. Eastern. Join us on the YouTube channel uh, live preview show. For UFC 293, have been myself, Shaheen Alshadi, and New York Rick joining us for, for a rare pay-per-view preview show. So very excited about that. Uh, we will cover the Game Bread Bare Knuckle card tonight on MMA Fighting. Uh, we just dropped an interview I did la- like late last night with the great Laura Sanko, who will be on the broadcast this uh, tomorrow with John Anik and Daniel Cormier making her pay-per-view commentary debut. That is live on the YouTube channel. You can go check that out. Uh, dropping an interview with Jorge Mazadal. We dropped on the podcast network a few days back, um, but the video version will drop, I believe, at the top of the hour here. So lots of stuff, lots of stuff going on. And you guys are the best. Of course, tomorrow we have the People's Pre-Fight Show. I'll be in New York for the watch party. Uh, so if you don't want to spend 85 bucks, spend zero bucks and just... Jump on the watch party, 9.45 p.m. Eastern. We'll tell you everything's going to happen. We're a damn good time doing it. So thank you all. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. And as always, have a heck of a morning. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.